The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. And Jesus called the people to him again. And he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and he had left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. He said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Alright, so guys, if I told you that I came to church today with just a pounding headache right here in the front of my head, like between my ears, behind my eyes, just throbbing, ugly headache right there in my head. What medicine would you recommend to me to take for that that ugly headache? Any ideas? Do you ever have headaches? Ever, anybody? Nobody has headaches? Wow, wait till adulthood. All right. Any thoughts of a recommendation? Aleve. Any other recommendations? Ibuprofen. And now is it ibuprofen or ibuprofen? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, just being silly at that point. So Aleve or ibuprofen maybe. If sort of How about this? How about if my body was just aching? My stomach wasn't feeling all that great, but I just ached. Like my bones were aching, my joints were in my eyes just like tired and not feeling well. What medicine would you recommend for someone who just has a body ache? that does, They're sick, but they don't feel good. What would you recommend? Tylenol maybe or ibuprofen again? Any other? Is that, would that work for you with doctors? Would you concur with his, his thoughts? Maybe? Do you guys ever get sick? No? You do? Have you ever taken Tylenol or ibuprofen? Ibuprofen? No? Okay, fair enough. How about this? How about now on top of this headache and this body ache, now I've also got like sinus congestion. I know that it's like, it's like pack. I'm talking like this because I can't breathe through my nose very well. I'm just congested and I'm aching and I got this headache. Is there any medicine you might re- recommend for that? A Zyrtec? Some allergy-based stuff? I need to put you in medical school. school. Um, <laughs> Dr. Jones back there will send you back, uh, Jacob, and you can get some insights from him on this stuff. All right, last one. How about adding to those things? I have a cough. Like, I'm starting to cough a lot. And actually now, I'm just not talking like this, but actually now i got snotty nose, and so it's really kind of gross. Headaches, body aches, sinus congestion, cough and snot. Any reticence that come over your mind? How, any... Um, so if, if I was giving you those as my symptoms, what would you say is wrong with me? What's going on? Besides, I'm just going to, you know, don't, don't say I'm going to die yet because I don't want to die off those symptoms. Just, you know, if I'm going to live a little bit longer, what's going on? What's wrong with me? What do I have? A cold? Thank you. 
You had to go medical school too right there. All right, so a cold. Now, is the problem my headache, my sinus congestion, my snot, my cough, and my body ache, or is the, is the problem the cold? What does a cold mean? What is, it, is, it, is it a bacteria? Is it a virus or something, right? So is the problem my symptoms, or is the problem the virus? It's the virus. Because if I didn't have the virus, I wouldn't have those symptoms, right? Those are evidences of my having a virus that's ravaging my body, right? So with that, the medicines might help. They might mask it. They might make me get through it a little bit. They might wage war against some of the symptoms. But the problem is the virus is still there. Now, along those lines, Jesus is talking to us today, and he gives us a bunch of symptoms. He gives a lot of symptoms, and they're kind of ugly symptoms. Pride, stealing, lying, talking bad about people, just being foolish. Those are all symptoms. They're, they're problems in themselves, but they're, it, they're evidences that something else is going on. Much like my headache and congestion and body ache and coughs and stuff was evidence I had a cold virus. Those are evidences that we have a sin virus. And it's, and it's, it's inside. So now the catch is, is what do we do about it? We can't heal ourselves from that. And so Jesus says, but I can. And that will be the good news for us today. He says, in this life, we do have sin. We have a virus of sin, and it's in there, and it's going to be waging war against us every day of our life. It's just the way it is. However, he says, there are some things that we can do that will, ma- that will wage war against that, like if there's a Tylenol or a Aleve or Ibuprofen or NyQuil or something like that. We can have things like prayer. And we have things like breeding God's Word. We're bringing Him in, and we're waging war against those symptoms. But in the end, we have Jesus. He says, you can't win it, but I can. And on the last day, all the viruses are destroyed and we're restored to perfect health. And it's not something we do for ourselves. It's just a gift. And that's what we heard today in that Bible lesson. So now we've got to pray about this. So let's put our hands together and let's say our prayer. Put your hands here. You go, big guy. Say the words with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving my sin. Please make me strong. Please make me wise. Please help me to know your holy will. Please help me to know your holy will. It gives you glory. Bring healing to me now. And in the day to come, heaven. Thank you for hearing our prayers. And in Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Sometimes after you read a gospel lesson, and then you make that, you know, after every time we read the gospel lesson, we say the good news of our Lord Jesus, right? We say the announcement of the good news, and we all say then thanks be to God. But sometimes you read the gospel lessons, and then you say those words, and it's kind of like almost, it's like, there's a thunderstorm and a tornado wrecked the whole city of Fayetteville. Thanks be to God. It's like, you have to work to get to that part that's good news. And when we're hearing about this list of sins and this list of things that's ugly, and then we say, and he says, and what defiles you is what comes out of you, to then to have the announcement and the good news of our Lord, it's a little bit awkward. It just is. We just recognize it. So today we're going to talk about some of these things. Think about this. For those that uh, can remember 50 years ago, not anybody here that I know of can remember 100 years ago, but at least 50 years ago, 60 years ago, there was a greater chance 
in the lives of people 60 years ago, that they wouldn't see how completely defiled the world is. They just didn't. We didn't have television sets broadcasting this stuff all the time. We didn't have, we didn't have cameras. Oh my gosh, we just didn't have it. But going there, when, you know, 60 years ago, there was actually our cities were a little bit smaller and there's a lot more people living across the face of the land in smaller communities. And in those places, what mostly you saw was your house. You saw the people in your house. And then to be sure, there wasn't perfection in your house. Dads had good days, not so bad good days. Moms had good days, maybe not so good days. Kids could always have good days and not so good days. So you saw the normal challenge of the life. Mom, dad, they ate my cookie or they drank my milk or they crashed your car. It, it wasn't huge problem. It was just stuff, normal stuff. And then in your house you saw that. But then maybe if you went to your church, you saw, you didn't see huge grotesque evils in your church typically. I mean, you saw the normal grumpiness about people not getting their favorite music or the people that were sitting in the wrong chairs or the pastor said the wrong words at the wrong time or something like that. But it wasn't grossly defiling. It was just kind of like almost what you expect out of normal life. It was a small problem. Or even in your community, maybe the worst thing that would happen is someone drank too much and wrecked your car into the fence post or something. It wasn't it was just different then. The news was different then. It just seemed to be almost a better world. But today, today it's hard to hide that there's almost what we call this extraordinary sense of evil. This idea that humans aren't just kind of mostly good with a little bit of flaws, but we're seeing that humans are just really, really making a lot of big, ugly, gross mistakes in this world. We have mass media showing it. I mean, we, if there's a shooting, it's on every station across the thing. If there was a shooting before, we didn't really even know about it. You know, maybe it's just, it was just different 50 to 100 years ago. Um, if there was anything to do with the evidences of, of, of drinking and the problems of drinking or all the other things going on, it wasn't broadcast the way it was. That's what we get. We see it's everywhere. It's almost like you can't go anywhere now without seeing how one person is grossly hurting and damaging another person in, in a variety of ways. And we have cameras everywhere. You walk down you walk downtown and you see cameras on all the buildings. You go inside the stores. There's cameras in the store. There's cameras everything, recording everything. If, if you open your car door and you did something, it's on film. If they want to get me... And then if not that, if you don't have cameras on the buildings, everybody's got cell phones. As soon as something's going up, blip, everybody, you got like 50,000 people all holding their cameras recording what's going on. And then they share it and it posts. Everything's going on. It's broadcast. And all kinds of bad things are being shared. And so the sense of this world is, is dark and is defiled, is big. And, and in that, in these last 10, 15 years or so, there's been more questions about, well, what causes evil? What causes this person that normally you would see be a, a normal person to go out and on this day do something so horrible? What would inspire that? So what's causing evil? And there's been years authors are touching on this, a couple of them. James Waller, he wrote a book in 2002. It's called Becoming Evil. That was the title of it. Becoming Evil. And the thought of that was is you don't start off evil. You start off okay, but then something from the outside, the evil from the outside, comes in and it makes you evil. And then 2007, that kind of thing kind of continued. There's another book, Philip Zimbardo, 2007, he wrote the book, The Lucifer Effect. In the subtitle, How Good People, How Good People Turn Evil. 
And it was all about, again, how the environment, something on the outside is now coming to the inside and it's corrupting this otherwise white, beautiful snow, if you will, right? Tarnishing this product. The causes. And in any more you read about this, it's more and more growing in our society. Well, what's causing the evil? Well, you'll hear people say, well, the reason I did this or the reason I'm like this, well, it's because I was misunderstood as a child. Or I was molested as a child. Or I was abused as a child. Maybe I was denied privileges as a child. They'll say, I'm like this today because I was unloved. Or in the recent years, the biggest thing that keeps pushing up higher and higher on our list, why we have troubles, is I was bullied as a child. And I'm thinking, holy smokes. As a child, I was listening to stories of how my grandfather was raised by his great, by my great-great-grandfather. I don't think they said, I love you once in their life. I mean, my grandfather just, work, wake up, work, go to work, go to sleep, wake up the next day, work, 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 work. Your whole life was to bring out work. And if you didn't work, you were useless. And I mean, they told you that. But I love you and cuddling and coddling and all this soft affectionate stuff, that wasn't in the vocabulary. And the women were just similarly, work. If you didn't work, work. I mean, it was a different world. So, and we didn't have that next generation saying the whole world's unraveling because I wasn't loved as a child. And so, our world, we're looking for, we're looking for this cause again. It's coming in. And if you think about how generations have, has affected, it's going through our heads. So, um, the world is saying basically at this point that we're good, but something outside me has made me bad. The problem's on the outside, not the inside. And as Christians, we got to say that's not how it is. That's not in our anthropology. Um, I want you to hear some of these words. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. This is Old Testament. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. The heart of a man. James chapter 1, this is New Testament, one of Jesus' brothers. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured in and enticed. I'll say that again. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. You ready for this next part? By his own desires. Inside. Romans chapter 7. I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Inside Romans 7.24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's an internal problem. And now today in Mark chapter 14, hear me, says Jesus. He's saying this to the Jewish people who came out from the city who just wanted to wreck him. At this point, remember that he's alone, right? That, that the crowds of the thousands that have been fed by him have all been dispersed and gone away because he's not going to serve as their king. He said, I'm not going to be that king. And he sent them away. And when he made the hard teaching about I'm the bread of life, I am the bread of life, everybody left but 12. And after this, now we just have a group of folks coming out of Jerusalem, and their single purpose is, is to find his stumbling block and make him stumble. To find out how he said something wrong, did something wrong, didn't polish his nails just right, and we're going after him. Their purpose was to find fault with Jesus. And that's who's here. A few people that are wanting another belly fed, maybe another healing, and a bunch of people are out to get him. And to that crowd, he says, hear me. And to the twelve that are still with him, hear me, all of you. And then he says controversial words. 
He says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. He's mostly talking about food because they were worrying about washing hands and food. He says, the things that come out of a person are what defile us. He uses the word defile five times in just a few sentences. Five times the word defile. And defile means basically you take something that's holy and you make it not holy. You take something that's been dedicated and purposed and positioned close to God and with God and in God and you somehow or another you move that over here to the common place. A uh, dirty place, an unclean, an impure or a corrupt place. Defiling is moving away from God to a lesser corrupted place place Jews then like people today they wanted to think that they're clean on the inside that I'm be I'm just a good person on the inside unless I happen to touch something or see something that's contaminated then I'll be dirty until I wash my hands of it or unless I bump into somebody or spend time with somebody that's defiled and then I'm defiled for a while but all I have to do is just baptize my hands a little bit and say a little prayer and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm right back to being good that's what they thought Remember they, last week that we said that they had chapters, 30 chapters in one of their teaching books, 30 chapters saying about how if they wash their pots and wash their pans correctly, their pans will no longer be defiled, i.e. no longer will they be defiled from the inside out because of the food they ate. 30 chapters on how to stay clean. And they also had things about um, chapters about how to avoid the defiled things. Well, if you just stay away from the defiled people, if you don't touch anybody who's been near dead things or dead people, if you've not been by anybody who's been sick or has a sore or any other things going on in their body, this, then you will stay clean because you're not near the sick people. That's what they thought. They taught. If you can just stay away from the sick people, you'll stay clean and pure. Salvation by works is what this is. Self-made righteousness, self-contained righteousness is what this is. 1 Samuel chapter 16, another Old Testament book. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, if that doesn't make all of us nervous, I don't know what will. Does that mean God knows your thoughts? He knows your motives. He knows your dreams and your wants. All the things you think that you just don't do, but you still think, God knows. He knows our heart. Jesus says, in our hearts, the things from within us are what defile us. Now that news was both unwanted, but it was shocking, shocking to the scribes and Pharisees. Their whole system was built upon how to stay clean. Their whole, their whole religion was about washing right and parting your hair right and, and doing everything right. And if you, you were a little bit off, you could wash and get right again. Their whole system was like, they did not like this idea. And Jesus is turning their religion upside down. Just flips it right on over. 100% of their emphasis was about the outside. 100% of the emphasis. It didn't go to the heart. It was about the outside, the heart. And that's where they started and that's where they ended. Um... Jesus was about 100% about the inside. Later on in Matthew, he would say, when he looked at this group of people, you could look at anybody actually, he could say, you are like white-washed sepulchers or white-washed tombs. 
you're all shiny on the outside. You present yourself really good on the outside, but I know it's on the middle. I know it's on the inside. And it's dead, and it's rotting, it's decaying. Now, unless they remember that Jesus can take a dead, rotting, decaying and bring it back, they've lost the good news. Because Jesus would say to that whitewashed tomb, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus would receive the power and the energy and the life and the holy and the cleansing part of Jesus, of God the Father. And he would come out and he would walk again and he would participate in his faith and his family and his community the way he was intentioned to be. There is life that can come out of that tomb. However, it has to, and it begin, the only way it begins, it begins with God, it begins with Jesus. Whitewashed tombs. So now we got this whole thing is coming back to Jesus, which the Jewish people did not want to hear. Maybe our own folks in this world doesn't want to hear. Jesus says, one, it's my word. The Father says, I give you my word. While we are yet sinners, it says in our Bible, the word of God, God died for the ungodly. Jesus goes to the cross while we're yet sinners. Jesus doesn't wait until we get everything right. He doesn't wait until we're polite and loving and obedient and kind and all those good things. He did not do that. While we are sinners, He dies for us. We can't do it ourselves. It is a gift from God. It was always a gift from God. It's not self-righteousness. It's a gift of God. And the next thing is we have the Word of God in Jesus, but then we have the Word in the sacraments, the two things that we commune with God in. This first thing is that is baptism. It's the washing. We don't wash every day with this baptism. We remember it every day. But we don't wash every day with the hope that we'll be, we'll be clean for the rest of the day. We're washed once in baptism. It's one and it's done because God did it. When we stand before Him, when we kneel before Him on that day, it's not our righteousness of God. He is the one that's made us washed. He has washed us in baptism. While we are sinners, He has washed us. He reveals, He brings life into us. One of the things that we affirm in our, in, our, in our historic Christian church is that we will baptize babies because the baby can do nothing to save itself. In fact, if there's not a mother and a father there from the time the baby is born all the way through till it's a little bit older, that baby will not survive. It cannot feed itself. It cannot clothe itself. It cannot defend itself. If it was in Texas, it would lay down. Fire ants would consume it. It couldn't save itself. Nature would just... Kill the baby. The baby does absolutely nothing. But the parents. Before the child even says thank you, the parents are loving and giving. Before the child can, and ever, can ever say mom and dad, mom and dad are there pouring their lives and their hearts and their souls into a child. We baptize babies as a statement that while we cannot do anything, God has done everything for us. We are children that He has saved, that He has nurtured, that He has raised up in the faith. And all we do is come to understand it a little bit more over time. But whether we understand it or not, He is still God and He still loves us and He still provides for us. Much like a child, whether they understand the sacrifice of parent or not, they still parent and they still give. We baptize infants as a statement to say that God has done everything and we just receive it with gratitude. We say that for the world to know because it's a top-down gift. We don't get smart. We don't get enlightened so we can tug on God's robe and say, I believe now. Make me your child. Now, we say God's made us his child already. He's offered it to us. You just get smart enough to say thank you. Right? So then the next part we have in this word and sacrament, we have the, the Holy Communion, the idea of God coming to us, making union with us. That's a beautiful word. 
coming together in union, communion. He's bringing us back. Lamb of God, bread of life, and He is the atoning sacrifice. This bread, this God, it's a promise, it's a gift. You hear that? It's a promise and it's a gift. And as we mentioned last week, it's not something that we wear. It's not something, not jewelry that we put on. It's not a lotion we put on. When we receive this gift of God, the gift that we remember on the altar, the sacrifice on the cross, it is a gift that goes on the inside. It will take care of that disease of sin on the inside, and it will heal us. And when the next time comes, we will, we will be perfected in that. We fight with perfection now, but perfection comes later. It's, it's a mystery of both yet but not yet kind of a deal Um, but he's on the inside Jesus came to take care of the inside we are whitewashed on the outside in baptism we're whitewashed on the inside with baptism we are being clothed with God's holiness and love on the outside with communion and we are being cleansed on the inside with holy communion God's working both on the outside and the inside of our lives and it's a gift a gift now, some will talk about the list of evidences in that, in that Bible lesson. There were 12 things mentioned. And it's not an exhausted list. When you look at that list of, of, of sins, it is by nowhere near exhausted list of all the sins. 12. It's broken down actually in two parts. The first parts were like um, in plural form, like it happens all the time in a variety of ways. The second batch of six are presented more in a singular form, like they're in a category, if you will. And now that category, all kinds of examples of this sin will take place. But in this list that Jesus presents, he starts off by saying evil thoughts. Now that category just covers everything. Out of the heart come the evil thoughts. Out of the heart, evil things. And it it shows itself, it displays itself in a lot of different ways. But some of the ways that were mentioned were very clear. And we don't say they weren't mentioned. We don't, we don't, this is what it is. Jesus said it, not me. He says, from these evil thoughts, demonstrated, one, fornications, all the sexual sins, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, Specific acts by the minis. That's the first batch of six. Now the next, next batch of six has to do with more like the attitude and the source underneath. Sensuality, again going back to human sexuality and the misuse. Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. From those, wow. And those all from his words, they say, out of the heart, out of the heart comes these things. Now the good news for us, now that he's displayed the trouble, the good news is this, and it actually was spoken to way before in Ezekiel chapter 36, Old Testament book. God says this, and this is where we get to smile and have our hope. God says to his people, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Notice God's doing all the work. We're just the people, we're receiving the good news. God's going to sprinkle us with His clean water and we will be clean. He also says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all of your idols. That's inside and out. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. We even sing of that. But Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to work or walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. Ezekiel 36, God has gifted us with all those things. 
in now, in our war, and in times to come in perfection. And it is all gift of God because we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. It is gift of God. I, we are saved by grace. By grace, not of our own. That is a Lutheran, that's a Christian, that is a, that is a core biblical truth. And so out of there, we are saved because of God. And that promise of Ezekiel, that was kept in Jesus. The Jewish people wanted to work their way in. They could never get there. But Jesus says, I've got this. I am the bread of life. Receive me. Receive this good news. Receive this promise. Wage your war against these evidences of sin and wage them well. And with me, you can wage a strong war. Put on the armor of God and be surprised at what your holiness will look like. But still on the inside, you still have the heart. And Jesus is going to take care of that too because my grace is sufficient for you. That's our good news. It's not easy news. But it's the only news we have that lasts because that news doesn't depend on you or me. What makes this good news is I can't mess it up. God's done all the work. Only thing I do is just say yes. And he inspires my saying yes. He inspires our saying thank you. He inspires our effort to raise our hands, to come to worship, to read his word, to offer our prayers, and to repent. God does all the work. Jews on that day really rejected it. But not all of them. Some of them have believed it. And they've gone on to share that good news. That tradition continued today because we heard it. God bless us to receive this good news. God help us to share this good news with our friends and to live it as His church. Amen.